good morning. It's good to be here and to be able to bring God's Word to you today as we saw in our passage last week and this week we're looking at the book of Romans chapter 6 page 943 I believe in your pew Bibles and again I will encourage you to open it up open the Bible up because I think all of God's Word is important to us and for us, but I believe chapters 5, 6, 7, and 8 are critical to our faith and to our ability to uh, reflect the name that we were baptized with, be able to reflect the name uh, of, uh, of Jesus as we are followers of Christ. <clears throat> so I pray that uh, you open this up, that these words are to give us encouragement, has been mentioned, also to exhort us and to stimulate us, uh, to also preserve us, I, I believe, because of what it has been telling us about this different life now that we have in Christ. We are now, as Romans 6 has been telling us, last week I broke up chapter 6, verses 15 through 23. I broke it up because in February I'm going to be looking at chapter 7. And I really wanted to start something new back then, and I'll be speaking for a few weeks then. And so uh, I didn't want to have to go back and um, <clears throat> reiterate where we were, were before after a few months. But we're looking at this section of, of the book of Romans, chapter 6, verses 1 through 14, as I mentioned last week, talks about our union with Christ, being with Christ, being in Christ. As I mentioned, some scholarly uh, work, uh, some commentator, uh, and just not him, but others have said that there are 32 instances uh, that that Paul uses the term with Christ, and that there are 131 instances where he mentions the word in Christ. So I think it's important that we get that, right, that we understand what that means, that we grasp what this is trying to say to us. What is Paul writing to this Roman church? Why is it so important that they hold on to this? Because it, as, as Pastor Nate has been uh, mentioning um, as he today and other times, justification <clears throat> is something that is a gift that God has given to us. It's a very legal term, justified. We have now been made right with God. We now stand before God as if you and I have never done anything ever wrong in our entire life. And that's laughable. 
Because you and I know that we do something wrong every day. We hurt others, we hurt ourselves, we ultimately are working against God's grace. And yet he wants to encourage them, and he wants to be able to have them go to go to something that when they find themselves living this life in this world, that they have a place to go to to find the very basis and the foundation for their belief and their faith and why they believe what they believe in. Because in this book we see lots of fours and therefore. And so he gives us this basis of what, what it is to be a Christian and how on earth are we ever going to keep on living, being faithful to the Lord. And if it depended upon our performance, that is a very, very fearful place to be, which there are people in denominations that do believe that they can lose their salvation. They do believe that it is based upon their works, that God started it and it is now up to them to build up some level of works that God is pleased with. Where, how much is that? What does it look like? It's not like one of those big thermometers that you see when you go into a town where they're saying like, oh, we're building this much of a fund. We, we almost hit our fund. We almost got to that point. Where is that level? Can you tell me in the Bible where it says? I find it. It's called perfection. So we've already blown that. Right? We've already messed that up. We've already, we're already gone. We're done. We can't, there's no way. And so Paul writes this letter, which is so important. So again, I, I hope that it is something that you go back to, that you take notes on, because if you saw my Bible, it looks like somebody had a field day with a pencil. And that's, that's for me to go back to. And when I'm reading and when I'm studying and when I teach, what did I tell you? Do you think I remember everything I ever taught you? You study, we study, we prepare, we pray, we, we, we fill our week with our head with this information, but how, do, how are we supposed to remember the verses that we talk about? Or how do we remember the connections of, of these sentences and these phrases? And we talk about, I talk about, uh, you know, the indicative and the imperatives and prepositions. We talk about active verbs and passive verbs. All these are so important. So I pray that this is very important to you. So we read from verses 15 through 23, <clears throat> as it started out, chapter, one, verse, um, chapter 6, verse 1, he starts out again with this, what then? What then, are we to, are, what then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? And again, the response is, by no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves or offer yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin which leads to death or of obedience which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become ob obedient from the heart 
to the standard, the pattern, the mold of teaching to which you were committed or handed over to. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you were once presented, as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to holiness, leading to sanctification, leading to a separation, what that word means, separate yourselves from the world. For, big word, when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. What does that mean? But what fruit are you getting, but what fruit you were getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, notice this repetition, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Let me pray. Dear God, we do pray for your work to be done through your word. We pray, Father, for the strength that you give us to listen, the ability to hear the desires now that your word is telling us here. Paul's writing to this church who's writing to us, which is relevant to us in our lives if we follow Christ, if we call ourselves disciples of Jesus. That these words are very, very relevant to the way we live and what we think. And Paul is very concerned about the gospel because he says, this is my gospel. He tells us that this is something that's personal to him. Lord, give us the desire to call this our gospel. These are the words of life to us. Knowing very well that we fall short, yet we know one who did not, and one who completely obeyed, and one who completely loved you with all of his heart, and one who died for us because he loved us. And so, Lord, may we find ourselves in a good place today, knowing that we are in the hands of the Redeemer, knowing that, Lord, you cannot love us any more than you love us now, ever, because of Jesus. We ask this in your name. Amen. So the union with Christ is the focus of verses 1 through 14. <clears throat> Chapter 12, I mean, verse, verses 12 through 14 are, ver, are, are, are summary statements based upon everything that he talked about there. He then gives us a bunch of uh, commands, things to do. People like lists of things to do. Paul spends a lot of time in the beginning of this 
book all the way up to chapter 11 and 12, chapter 12, giving us lots of things to think about and telling us a lot of things that are truth. Then he spends a lot of time toward the end giving us a lot of lists of things to do. But as he goes along, he does throw into these, in, along within this doctrine that he gives us, he gives us this sense, answering those questions from someone who says, well, that sounds really pretty great, a great religion, right? Somebody completely forgives us, so no matter what we do, we're forgiven. And that's when he says, well, if you knew and understood what I was talking about, you would never even think that. So we see him writing and talking to this church in Rome. And in verses 15 through 23, the focus is a transformation that has taken place, a transfer. And again, I use this pulpit every week to try to give you some sense of location and separation, is that as chapter 5 talked about, this is who we are in Adam. Now this is who we are in Christ. Everything that we learned and thought and lived over here, we need to rethink. Everything that we desired over here now has to be given a scrutiny because now we've been given a new desire. We didn't care about God over here. We care greatly about God over here. He says that as we looked at chap this, uh, the, the chapter last week, he says now something has happened. We used to be slaves, slaves to sin here. Why? Because there was nothing governing our lives other than the rules that we made as we went along in our life or listened to someone else. He says, we've died. Over here, we now live. Over here, we're blind. Over here, we see. We're deaf. We hear. A total change. Chapter 6 has told us this. We have died to sin. We have been baptized in Christ. We've been buried. We have been united. We are now obedient from the heart. We, are now have, we have now been set free. We have been now new slaves. We have been, been set free to become a new type, a new kind of slave. Our loyalty, the kingdom that we live in over here, was a kingdom of darkness. This is a kingdom of light. This is a, held, uh, held us uh, uh, in bay, in bondage, in, in, uh, in uh, uh, handcuffs, in chains, because we had no power to say no to sin, and no reason to. As I, met, I did a, a, a message, we, need, we, need, we don't even need to say no, but why? We need a good reason to say no to sin. Over here, we just don't want to get in trouble. Over here, we may not like the consequences. Over here, we may have some sense of common grace conscience that does dictate our life, but doesn't save us from ourselves, doesn't save us from the wrath of God that is building up more and more and more. Over here, it's completely different. We are now 
under a new king, under a new master, under a new love, under a different kind of uh, bondage. It's a bondage of love, a desire now that we want to serve this king. Over here, we said that we were free. Why do we need to live by rules? Who wants rules? I want Jesus. Yeah, I, I think Jesus is cool. I like his morality. I like what he teaches. But I don't like him being my Lord. I don't like to necessarily have to commit myself to any religion. I don't want to commit myself to anything. Over here, I just want to be free to live any way I want to. The 60s. For those of you who didn't live through it. Over here, this is a set of rules that now we desire because we know that we are loved with a love that we cannot even comprehend. What do the slaves of sin look like? Do you remember? Therefore God gave them up to the lusts of their hearts, to impurity, to dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they've exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They were full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They were gossips, slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to their parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they knew God's decree that those who practice those things deserve to die, they not only did them, but gave approval to those who practice them. That's the kind of world that we live without Christ. That's the world that guides us. That's the, God, the, rule, the world that rules us. We are ruled by passions and desires. In verses uh, 15 through 23, we are told that that has now been changed. He says, do you not know, in verse 16, that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, meaning that you obey the one who you are now, you are, you are following the one that you feel like you're desired to do, you're, you are slaves of the one to whom you obey, either sin, which leads to death, or obedience, which leads to rightness, Righteousness. And remember last week we looked at, but thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient, have been uh, from the heart. That means something has changed to a standard. Remember we talked about, I used the word mold or pattern. And I remember uh, mentioning Philip's translation of chapter 12, verse 2, where it says, do not let the world squeeze you into its mold. 
And it says, do not be conformed to the likeness of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. When I read that and I was thinking, I was thinking about when I was a kid. And I don't know, and, and some of you were kids when I was a kid. And, and when I remember uh, at Christmas time, the one, th- one of the things that I wanted was creepy crawlers. Does anybody ever remember creepy crawlers? Creepy crawlers. My cousins and I used to play with all the time. It was a mold that would get hot. And it would heat up, and you had different colors, and it was all different kinds of bugs and scorpions and all kinds of insects that you would fill up with this rubber stuff, and then it would, it would, it would uh, heat it up, and then it would cool off, and then you'd break, and you pull it out of its mold, and it would be these great, creepy things that you could play with and throw at each other. But everything was, you know, you had to pour this rubberized stuff into it and you could have all different colors and you could make all different kinds of uh, you know, variations of, of uh, different critters. And we, were, and we had to pour something into its mold and pull it out and said, wow, this is a spider. Why? Because everything was poured into that mold and this is what I believe he's teaching here. It's, it's a pattern, right? It's a, a pattern of teaching. It's a standard of teaching. It's called really the gospel life. That's what this is. It's the gospel poured into the gospel life. This is what we prayed. I prayed for you last week is that we want and pray, Lord, Give me a desire that I never had before. Give me that desire. And when he does, continue to give me that desire to be poured into the likeness of Jesus. And who is doing that for us? God. God is transforming us into the very image of his son every day. Not over here. Over here we can be whatever we want. But we always turn into the ones that we worship. We become idols. It's like in the Old Testament, like the, the prophets would say, how stupid are you people that you chisel and you carve and you, you, you take a tree and you carve it and you make it into an image and then you worship it. That's what life is here. We go from one idol to another idol. The pattern of teaching, the standard of teaching, it's so important. Paul writes in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18 through 30. If you want to note that down, you don't have to look at it. I'll read it for you. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. Why don't people get it? People going, why doesn't my kids get it? Why, why don't my family get it? Why don't my, my friends get it? Why, why are people so hard? It's because over here you can't understand it. You don't have the ability to understand it until the Spirit of God comes into your heart and gives you the desire and gives you the ability to understand what God is saying to us in the Scriptures. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Wasn't that phrase in, 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 uh, in this book? It is the power of God unto salvation, Paul writes in the very first chapter. 
For where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God to the folly of which, we, of which we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Think about, he says, think about what God has done in your heart. Not many of you were wise according to these worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were born of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world. That includes us. Even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of God, because of him, you are in Christ who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption, all wrapped in the one. He is everything that we need. Paul writes, talking about here about being set free, in Galatians 5.1, he says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm. This admonition and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery that we were over here in Adam. If we live like that over here, it doesn't work over here. We're going to struggle with life here because we bring our patterns, our desires. We bring the way that we thought over here and something has to change. That's why it says in verse 13 of the book of Romans, of chapter 6, Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as whom has been brought from to death to life, your members to God as instruments of righteousness. And again, if you look at the language and if you look at other commentators, they all speak of this being a, a, a language of war, of, a language of battling. And we battle. He says, if we, if we were slaves over here, we're not the same slaves over here. We live completely differently. We think completely differently. And so the pattern of teaching really helps us and changes us according to what Jesus taught in chapter 17 of John, the book of John, the Gospel of John. Sanctify, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so have I sent them into the world. And for their sake, consecrate, I consecrate myself as they may be sanctified in truth. Timothy writes to us, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you've learned it, 
and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God. From the very mouth of God, this constant breathing out, what we're reading today, what I'm reading for you now, is God's breath upon you and me, for you and me. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the person of God may be complete and equipped to live a life over here that God has called us to live. Everyone who calls themselves a Christian, as John tells us in his first letter, everyone who calls themselves a Christian, who carries that name, needs to learn what it means to walk like Jesus. And that's a struggle. That's our struggle in life. That can be very frustrating for you and for me because we are not perfect. We know that our heart wanders. But Paul, but the writer of Hebrews tells us this, do not grow weary. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted in your struggle against sin. This is what he's talking about here. In your struggle against sin, to have not resisted yet to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as the children of God? It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son or daughter is there whom his father or her father does not discipline? For if you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are not the children of God, but illegitimate children and not God's children. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us as for a short time, as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness or, his, or the sanctification process. Is that now, what do we look like? Who do we look like? We look like Christ. We desire to be perfect like Christ. So it's a process for you and I who are not holy to strive to be holy. And it says to us here in, in, in this word, let us therefore strive to enter the race, rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. This is in chapter 4 of the book of Hebrews. For the word of God, is, as uh, Brandon had mentioned, is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the vision of soul and spirit, of joint and of marrow, and discerning that the thoughts and the intentions of the heart, and no creature is hidden from its sight. And all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom he, we must give an account. We go to doctors, right? We go for checkups. We go for procedures. We go for five years uh, checkups. We go for yearly examinations to find out how we are. And God has given us his word so that we can wake up every day and examine ourselves and look in the mirror and saying, who are you? 
as the book of Ecclesiastes tells us. Why, do you, why are you alive? Why did God create me? What am I even doing here? And for some of us, those words, those questions have no answer until we turn a music station on or we got a podcast on or we turn on one million other uh, uh, internet stations telling us what the world is to look like and how it looks and keeps on bludgeoning us with the bad news every moment of every day? Haven't we had enough of this? Yet we'll pour this stuff. We'll sit in front of the news. We'll read the newspapers. And yet how much time do we spend in here? That's not chastising you. That's an exhortation for all of us that we should never ever complain about being in church or being someplace that the church has functions for us, Bible studies and small groups and worship services and prayer meetings, whatever, so that we have this in front of us all the time. Because he says, the word is truth. Lord, Jesus says, Father, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. So that's what he goes on and he's saying here, that be thanks to God that you were once, verse 17, you were once slaves of sin, have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching. Folks, you and I, you and I struggle. And we have no idea, some days, what struggle we're going to face. Turn with me. Oh, I don't hear it. It's right here. Turn with me in your uh, hymnals to page 851. Page 851 in the Westminster Confession. We've read this before. Of course, not from here in this older language, but still. The struggle with sanctification is sometimes we can't do it. By our, we can't do it by ourselves. The Bible tells us that we can't. But we, we struggle with certain sins in our life. And God takes over and God takes in and God bends into our life and says to us, I'm going to do something. And this is what this says in verse, page 851, chapter 5 of Providence, Roman numeral number 5. And for those of you who don't know Roman numerals, it looks like a V. <laughs> the most wise, righteous, and gracious God doth oft times leave for a season his own children to manifold temptations and the corruption of their own hearts to chastise them for their former sins or to discover unto them the hidden strength of the corruption and deceitfulness of their hearts. This is what I talked about last week. We go to the Lord. We confess our sins. We think we've got a handle on it. And then we begin to live our life. And we get it, we're at a certain phase in our life, at a certain stage in our life. And we find ourselves struggling with things that we never thought we would struggle with. And then all of a sudden we face it. And we realize that we thought we had handle on this. I thought, Lord, why am I struggling with this sin? I thought I would have never been confronted with this in my heart. 
Because we, th- we thought that we have defeated and broken our idols when they have just been dormant for a while. And so because God loves us and because God shakes us up, what does he do? He, because he wants to purify us and to make us holy and to separate us from the world that we live in to a different drumbeat, to a different passion, a whole different perspective on life. As he says here, or do discover unto them the hidden strength of corruption and deceitfulness of heart. Remember I said, then all of a sudden, Satan comes and you think the embers of this sin are cold and dead. And he blows on them and before you know it, there's heat and there's fire. And you're taken by off guard. How did this happen? This is what John Owen writes so great about in the book I, I read to you last week. And he says, Or do you discover unto them the hidden strength, and that they may be humbled, and to raise them to a more close and constant dependence for their support upon him, and to make them more watchful against all future occasions of sin for sundry other just and holy ends. This is daunting. This is, this is the, the Christian life. This is what Paul is telling them, realizing that your members, your body is still going to cry out for attention. As he said, we've died to sin Sin is dead. But sin is very, we are dead to sin, excuse me. Sin is no longer the master of our life. We are dead to its, to its, its, uh, its ruling of our life. We no longer live under the rule of sin. But as I mentioned, the killing of sin has to be something we do on a regular basis. And that's what he is talking about here. So from obedient from your heart to standard to the standard of teaching. And notice what he says in having verse 18, having been set free from sin. This all this stuff that has been done for us, this this passive uh, verb here, these passive verbs, these phrases that are things that are done for us that we could never do. Justification has been done for us. We are justified by faith in Christ. But faith doesn't make us perfect. God makes us perfect by his word and by his spirit. And he gives us a community of faith where all of this is to simmer us and to marinate us and to be around us and be all through us every time we gather together. Having been set free, we have become slaves of righteousness. Notice the argument. He says, now I'm speaking in human terms, and he says, I want you to, I, I want you to I'm picking a subject that is so, so uh, uh, black and white that is something that you really know, and that's what slavery is. And he says, because of your natural limitations, you may not understand this, but let me give you an example that you can get your teeth in. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to a continuation of that, 
So now, offer your members, offer your bodies as slaves to righteousness. Now, that leads to sanctification. It's either one or the other. There's no middle ground. If you live for Christ, then the Word of God and the Spirit of God will bring in your life the ability to say no to sin. Give you the power to say no. Verse 20 now tells us why that can happen. How can so now present your members, which is a command, how can that happen? How does that, how does that work? For, he says, when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. That is not a good thing. Being free of regard to righteousness means that we could give a rip about righteousness. We don't care about righteousness. We are not under the, 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 um, the majesty or the, the rule or the tyranny or the, under the, the, the guide of righteousness. But we now are under the tyranny of slaves of sin, he's saying, For when you were slaves, you could care less about what God wanted. But now, he says, think about this. What fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? Are we ashamed? Do as when I survey the wondrous cross, what does it say there? It says, I pour contempt on my pride. Do we pour contempt on who we are in the flesh, in this old person, this old way of living. That old person is dead, but the pattern is still very much alive within us. Do we look at those in our life and do we say, wow, do you go back and think about what an idiot you were in high school? Or the things that you did when you were growing up? Or you think about, wow, I'm surprised I'm still alive for doing those things, or saying those things, or the trouble you could have gotten into. Do you think about the people that you hurt? I go back and think about when I went to my 50th reunion, and I look at all the people there, and I realize, golly, what an elitist I was. I was a jock, and that's who I focused on, and that's who I hung with. Now, I was an okay guy. I liked being with around different people, But there were people that I knew nothing about their lives. And I went to a school with, I graduated in class in 98. That's not a lot of people. And I looked and I'm just going, wow, Lord, I spent all these years with these people. And now I'm looking at them and realize I knew nothing about them. Do you go back and think about the terrible things that you said to people? That's what he is saying here. He's saying, are you ashamed of those things? That's where Jeremiah in chapter 8 brings up. He says, my people don't even know that they're committing rebellion against me. They don't even know what it is to blush about sin anymore. They have no idea what it means to be offensive to me. They don't even realize that they've done anything wrong. But that's what happens to us. When we become believers, we do have a sensitivity now toward the things that are not of God. Even when we sin, 
we understand that this is something that we should not be doing. Yet, sometimes it feels so good, we, keep, we go back. And it felt good. And then all of a sudden, God says there is a season in the, in the confession, there's a season that God lets us do that, and then all of a sudden, he opens our eyes up and we realize that, wow, does this really look like a person who carries the name of Christ? And then by his grace and by his mercy, he humbles us and he restores us and he tells us that he loves us. Remember this, folks, that when we are in Christ and we are children of God and we are part of the covenant and God has secured salvation for us, God does not run away from us when we sin. God does not distance himself from us when we sin. He draws closer to us. We are the ones who stand away. I hope that encourages you. Because when, we, I, when I realized that, that was such a blessing to realize how awful it was, everything that he's given me. And yet I gave him a stiff arm. But God does not stiff arm you and me. When we sin, he is right there with us. He's loving us. He is disciplining us. Hey, it may feel terrible. He may put our face in it. He may make us feel and want you to really, do you really smell it? Can you smell it? How bad this is. Wow, look at where I am. How did I get here? Thank you, Lord. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for redeeming me. Thank you for calling me. Thank you for dying for me. That's what he's trying to tell them this. He says, the fruit that you were living for before, don't, don't look at those and say, wow, that was great. Now, it's not saying your accomplishments that you had before you were in Christ mean nothing. But what kind of fruit are we looking for here? We're looking for the fruit from the Spirit of God. As he says here, those things, those things, things end in death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves, the fruit that you now give, the fruit that you now produce, good trees produce good fruit, that leads to making you different in life, makes you different than the world around us, brings you to holiness, makes us look more and more like Jesus. That, in its end, that leads to eternal life. Death, life. And here's this last phrase here. We've memorized this verse as, first as, as soon as we could, right? This is one of the first verses people probably told you to memorize. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You realize that he's speaking to Christians here. He's not speaking to pagans. He's speaking to Christians. He's writing this to the church. We always have it in our back pocket to give it to people that don't know Jesus. They're the first ones we give it to. Oh, the wages of sin are death. Not thinking that when Jim is sinning, Jim, remember, the wages of sin is death. That should be an encouragement for you and me. That should be something that, that, that causes us and wakes us up. It's like pulling smelling sauce in front of our nose when we pass out. 
It's like the, it's like the demoniac, right? The man had so many demons. What? I love that picture. This man, what does it say? When Jesus took away all the demons, what does it say? The man was then closed in his right mind. That's what God does for us. He reminds us of his cloak of righteousness that he's given to us, and then we are in our right mind to realize we now have the mind of Christ. We now think like we're supposed to think. So realize, folks, that this is going to be a ride. This is going to be up and down. Sometimes it may be way down. Sometimes, as it says in the book of Lamentations, so far down that my teeth are grinding in the gravel. But right there with us in the gravel is Jesus. Not running away, not saying, oh, you can't be my brother and sister. God's saying, no, you don't look like my child. I don't want nothing to do with you. He doesn't say that. <laughs> Jesus in chapter John, John, John chapter 13, what does he say? He washes, his, he washes their feet. He takes off his garments and he wraps a towel around him and he takes a bowl and he washes their feet and everybody's like, <gasps> and what's he telling them? He's telling them this is what the life of it is to be a follower, is to be a slave, a servant. And when Jesus backs off and he sits back at the table in the upper room, what does Jesus say? Do you understand what I just did? That's what the book of Romans is about. The book of Romans is, John. Paul wants us to just be over and over in our brain. Do you understand what he did? That's why he tells us over and over again and repeats things over again. And then when he explains them, he goes into greater detail. And then last, <clears throat> Philippians chapter 2. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being, by doing, by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Do you understand what he's trying to tell us? Who, though he was in the form of God, very equal with God, completely God, second person of the Trinity, did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped, something to be held on to. Oh no, I can't do this. I'm God. But made himself nothing. And to repeat that and to explain that, he says, taking the form of a slave. This is what he did. Jesus Humility. Jesus so loved us that he poured out his life in us, became, he put, took on flesh as close as we could, he could get 
to sinful human flesh. He takes on our flesh without being sinful at all and becomes a slave. Why? Because that's what we are to become, slaves. A slave for righteousness, a slave to God. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Paul is writing, do you understand what he has done for you? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we graciously thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for realizing that, Lord, we need to be reminded of these things. As you write to us in Paul's pen, it is good that I remind you of these things. It is good that I repeat these things. It is good that I tell you over and over again because it will come in handy. It is the means of grace that I've given to you, your word, so that you can walk in a manner that's worthy of the gospel. Lord, thank you for giving us this word. Thank you for painting a picture of our lives. Now, Lord, we've been transformed we now have a heart that desires to be changed. We now see things differently. We no longer love the stench of fruit that we bore in our life in Adam. But now in Christ, Lord, we thank you that you are pleased that we are bearing fruit for your glory. That you have changed us from slaves to sin and given us the privilege of being slaves to you and realizing lord that we that we know the end of our life if we want to stay in that old way if we find it more attractive more fun oh lord may we say no god forbid thank you for giving us the taste of heaven thank you lord for starting a work in us and your word tells us that you are so good to us that you promise to keep us to the very end and complete this work of separating us from the world and making us look like your son, Jesus. So, Lord, continue to give us the will to want this and the ability in this life to live this. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.